Hello, and welcome to the Chest Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Gretchen Winter. On behalf of CHEST, I would like to welcome you to this CHEST Journal podcast. I'm Dr. Gretchen Winter, your CHEST podcast moderator. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be an interesting discussion on the use of epinephrine in cardiac arrest. We're quite fortunate today to have Dr. Shannon Fernando and Professor Jerry Nolan with us. Dr. Fernando is a critical care physician at Lake Ridge Health Corporation and a postdoctoral fellow at the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute. He's trained in both emergency medicine and critical care medicine. He holds a master's in science from the Institute of Medical Science at the University of Toronto. His primary research interests are in cardiac arrest, cardiogenic shock, and extracorporeal life support, with a particular focus on long-term outcomes among ICU survivors, and he's actually the principal investigator of the Long-Term Outcomes of Survivors of Critical Illness, or LOTUS ICU, research program. Professor Nolan is a consultant in anesthesia and intensive care medicine at the Royal United Hospital in Bath, UK. He's also the professor of resuscitation medicine at the University of Warwick and an honorary professor of resuscitation medicine at the University of Bristol. He is the immediate past chairman of the European Resuscitation Council and the immediate past co-chairman of the International Liaison Committee on Resuscitation. He's also editor-in-chief of the journal Resuscitation. His research interests are in cardiopulmonary resuscitation, airway management, and post-cardiac arrest treatment. Now, they and their colleagues wrote an article in the Chess Journal, Epinephrine and Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrest, a network meta-analysis and subgroup analyses of shockable and non-shockable rhythms. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks, Gretchen. It's a pleasure to be here. I'd like to start by asking why you decided to study this. What really was your study question and why did you think it was important? So uh, we started the use of epinephrine in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. I think most of us who are familiar with the management of cardiac arrest, both in hospital and out-of-hospital, uh, understand that epinephrine is probably the most commonly used drug uh, in resuscitation of cardiac arrest. Uh, and it's been used for decades uh, with very good basic science and sort of animal science that supports it. Um, but in 2018, the largest randomized trial on this question was performed, the Paramedic 2 trial. Um, and while it showed that in its primary outcome, epinephrine improved uh, overall survival, uh, there was no signal towards benefit uh, in survival with functional outcome, with good functional outcome, which, you know, from knowledge of patients and their and their uh, wishes and desires uh, is, is probably a, a more patient-centered outcome and an outcome that patients are, are known to care more about. Um, and so uh, a, a sort of an updated meta-analysis using um, the paramedic two data, uh, as well as uh, harnessing all the other trials through uh, through network meta analysis, which I'm sure we'll talk about shortly, uh, is what uh, what pushed us to look at this study uh, using a relatively uh, more novel design. And what did we already know about epinephrine's effectiveness or ineffectiveness in cardiac arrest before your study? Why do we use it routinely? I can probably address that one, Gretchen. I think so. So the purpose of, of epinephrine in cardiac arrest is really to try and improve um, cor both coronary perfusion pressure, so pro blood flow really to, to, to the heart and, and also to the brain. 
And uh, by doing that, we hope to improve the rate of return of spontaneous circulation or restarting the heart, if you like, and obviously also to try and improve overall outcomes. We had some data from some of the studies suggesting that epinephrine would um, improve the rate of return of spontaneous circulation, but not necessarily improve um, more long-term survival. So this was a meta-analysis. Can you tell us a little bit about your study design? Yeah. So I think unique to this, uh, we use network meta-analyses. And for listeners out there who aren't familiar with network meta-analyses, but uh, but are familiar with traditional meta-analyses, there are several uh, benefits to using a network design. Um, so there are two primary benefits that I talk about uh, when it comes to using uh, network design. Or there's, there's more than that, but these are, I think, two primary ones that people need to be aware of. The first is that um, a network design allows you uh, to study two stu- two treatments or two interventions that may never have been tested directly in a randomized trial. So, for example, treatment A has been compared to treatment B in a randomized trial, uh, and treatment B has been compared to treatment C in a random trial, but treatment A and treatment C have never been compared. Well, using network meta-analysis, you can use the comparison between A and B and the comparison between B and C to uh dem- to create an estimate of how a might be associated may be effect or how a and c might compare to each other so in that way it's novel um the other thing that's really important to recognize is that it allows you to harness all the patients from all of the trials and what i mean by that is say for example you're interested in doing a convention meta analysis comparing epinephrine standard dose epinephrine to placebo there are about three trials that have quite that have studied that question and if you were to do a conventional meta analysis you'd just be including those three trials when you use a network design, you actually harness all the patients from other trials that included those arms. So in the comparison of standard dose epinephrine versus uh, placebo, we're also using the patients from trials that compared standard dose epinephrine to higher dose epinephrine, for example. Um, so all of those patients are kind of pooled together in one node, so to speak, uh, and they can be compared uh, to patients uh, in other nodes. So in that way, you're harnessing, you know, in, in our case, 21,500 patients uh, from all of those trials that we talked about, uh, as opposed to just, you know, a few trials that uh, deal with it directly. So that's why we felt uh, network meta-analysis would be amenable to this question. And also because in all of the trials, um, and this was helpful with uh, with Jerry's expertise uh, being involved in many of those trials, uh, is that uh, epinephrine use uh, and vasopressin use was highly protocolized across all of the trials. So we felt pretty comfortable uh, comparing them. And what did you find regarding outcomes with these different drug regimens you guys looked at with regards to obtaining ROSC? So with regard to retaining uh, return of spontaneous circulation or ROSC, uh, we found that basically every single treatment that we that we studied, uh, whether it's standard dose epinephrine, uh, high dose epinephrine, uh, standard dose epinephrine plus vasopressin, all increased uh, return of spontaneous circulation when compared to placebo. So and and with that we we included uh, a grade certainty for all of our estimates and for your viewers who are or listeners who are not familiar with grade uh, it's a method that's being increasingly applied uh, in meta analyses to and and clinical practice guidelines to help us understand how certain we can be of an effect estimate it doesn't just include you know the 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 point estimate in the ninety five percent confidence interval uh, but also includes uh, the risk of bias in the individual trials the consistency across all trials. Um, and uh, as I said, the other measures, the statistical measures. So uh, we had pretty high certainty um, based on all of that and the effect size that, in fact, these, these drugs do improve uh, ROSC as compared to placebo. And what about other outcomes like survival to discharge or survival with good functional status? 
So in, in, in this case, um, we found that, uh, we found that, uh, none of the agents actually increase survival to discharge, uh, or survival of good functional outcome, uh, as compared to placebo or no treatment. Um, this is slightly different from the, the primary, uh, finding of the paramedic two trial, which showed that, uh, standard dose epinephrine does increase survival, but not survival with a good functional outcome. But it, uh, when we looked at, uh, the amalgamation of all of this data, we actually found that uh, none of the agents increase survival to discharge, uh, or survival with good functional outcome when compared to placebo. Interesting. Did you find differences between the effectiveness of epinephrine in like shockable versus non-shockable rhythms? Yes. And I think that's one of the really novel findings uh, of our study. So um, when we didn't have enough uh, study or we didn't have enough of a sample size to look at uh, survival with good functional outcome, but we did look at overall survival. And interestingly, we saw discordant results when we compared shockable and non-shockable rhythms. So in patients with non-shockable rhythms, we actually found that standard dose epinephrine did improve survival to discharge uh, with an odds ratio of about 2.1 um, and with with high certainty as well. What was interesting was we didn't see the same effect when we looked at patients who had shock over them. Uh, and in fact, uh, the odds ratio, while there is no statistical difference, the odds ratio was actually in the direction of harm uh, with ep- of standard dose epinephrine as compared to placebo among patients with shock over them. So a very interesting finding. So speaking of harms then, were there any harms associated with the use of epinephrine for these patients with cardiac arrest? So that's a really important question. We didn't have uh, enough data on adverse events uh, to look at them uh, in um, in meta- network meta-analysis because I think what would be interesting to see is what is actually uh, mediating potentially the effects that we see or, or the lack thereof uh, when it comes to epinephrine. But unfortunately, not enough data uh, across all studies to look at uh, adverse events with the use of epinephrine. So I mean, you found... Could add yeah, to go. that, actually, Gretchen, just to say... I think this is one of the biggest areas of controversy as to whether the use of epinephrine, although it increases return of spontaneous circulation, does the fact that you don't see improvement in long-term outcomes, and in fact, in some studies, worse outcomes, is there actually a specific effect of epinephrine that's causing perhaps ischemia as far as the brain's concerned, or is it simply because um, epinephrine is, and, and other powerful vasopressors are able to restart hearts at a time when perhaps the, the brain has already been severely and irreversibly damaged by the hypoxic ischemic brain injury. And that's a that's a problem that, um, you know, we still can't really tease out using the data from this study. Yeah. It's a really interesting question. Um, so I guess you found some things that were in congruence with what we know, some things that were a little bit different to maybe a novel finding. So using the results of your study, do you guys advocate for any changes in the current management of cardiac arrest and its algorithms? The um, at the moment, so so the the organisation that, that sort of leads, I suppose, in terms of guidelines setting at an international level is the International Liaison Committee on Resuscitation, and that organisation has, has decided not to change its recommendations. Um, uh, however, there is currently at the moment a slight difference between. Um, the shockable and non-shockable rhythms. So for non-shockable rhythms, it's, there is a strong recommendation still to use epinephrine. Uh, whereas although there is a recommendation to use it for the shockable rhythms, it's a, it's a weak recommendation. And I guess that highlights the findings of this particular study of the difference between shockable and non-shockable rhythms. And can you discuss any limitations of your study? 
So I think there's uh, there's a number of limitations that are really important uh, for the readers to know about. Um, when we talk about uh, meta-analyses at, at all, uh, we always talk about heterogeneity, and we're used to sometimes statistical measures of, of heterogeneity. In our study, we didn't find statistics, significant statistical heterogeneity, but we should comment that there's probably been a lot of clinical heterogeneity. I mean, these tr- studies take take place over various decades. Um, and a lot of uh, care, particularly in the pre-hospital setting, uh, has changed, you know, over the last several decades. Uh, there's been an increased emphasis on, on bystander CPR, uh, on AED use, uh, external uh, automated external defibrillation use. Um, and so we can't really account for those things uh, when we talk about, uh, when we look at them in systematic reviews, just something that we need to be aware of uh, and be careful about. Um, and then the uh, the last part is that's uh, really important is we didn't have enough uh, patients to look at the differences between shockable and non-shockable patients with regard to the outcome of functional outcome. Um, and functional outcome matters to patients much more than overall survival. I think we all agree. Um, and so without that, uh, it's an important key missing piece uh, that that we need to be aware of. And we kind of discussed this, but what unique contributions does your study make to the literature on resuscitation care? Like, what do we know now that we didn't before? I think we've got a much greater understanding of the differences between shocker and non-shocker rhythms. And it may be that this is the kind of thing that's going to drive possibly in the future, perhaps some change in in clinical practice guidelines, that there clearly seems to be a big difference between non-shockal rhythms that are much more responsive to epinephrine and other vasopressors compared with the shockable ones. And it may be that there are, you know, it could be that epinephrine is, is, is in some cases harmful in the case of shockable rhythms. And there are some observational data being published elsewhere suggesting that if epinephrine is given early in a shockable rhythm, the outcome is definitely worse. And you guys mentioned briefly, you know, a question of is it the epinephrine causing brain hypoxia or is the brain hypoxia there from the cardiac arrest? So with questions like this, what are the next steps for research on this topic? So I, I think the important thing is to understand that that certainly in the non-shock rhythms, the earlier that epinephrine is given, uh, the more effective it is. And it may be, uh, and that's true for both the short-term return of spontaneous circulation, but also potentially for the long-term outcomes. And that's data that's been generated from the Paramedic 2 trial. So therefore, the focus, I think, needs to be on trying to deliver epinephrine quicker. There's a study comparing the intravenous route with the intraosseous route in the hope that maybe by using the intraosseous route for out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, you can deliver the epinephrine more quickly. So that that may improve outcomes. And the second area of, of research, which is part of an ongoing or planned trial, is to look at different doses because we've been using as, as a standard dose one milligram of epinephrine for decades and decades. But the the evidence supporting that as being the optimal dose is really quite weak. So perhaps looking at different doses or even in the future, giving it by infusion uh, may be uh, an option. So as we finish up our discussion, can you each give our listeners a closing thought on what you want them to take away from your experiences and the study? What do you want them to leave this discussion with? 
I think for me, um, it's, it's, it's humbling to do these kind of studies and work with experts, uh, like Professor Nolan and others, other co-authors on these studies. And, and for me, relatively junior in my career, I think it's important for us to always question sort of the things that have become dogmatic within, within our specialties and within medicine. One milligram of epinephrine and cardiac arrest is one of the most basic things you learn, uh, as you're preparing to transition to the wards, uh, as a, as a junior resident. Uh, as a medical student, even and to 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 see that it's not that simple that there's subtleties, uh, I think drives the the need for for research and future research. Um, I think uh, very clearly this this work shows benefit as 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 Professor Nolan said on the use of of uh, standard dose epinephrine earlier in non shock rhythms. But I'm very curious to see uh, upcoming data and upcoming trials on patients with shock rhythm uh, whether we can better define a, a an optimal dose. Um, but I, get, I think overall, uh, this study uh, is so interesting to me because it really just uh, goes back to something that's really basic that we're all taught uh, and shows that uh, there's a lot of subtlety. And Professor Nolan? Yeah, so for me, I think it's important to understand that, I guess, the relative benefits of epinephrine. And it's really important to understand that in comparison with really uh, high quality CPR, early access to EMS, uh, and and rapid and effective delivery of shocks for shockable rhythms, the relative impact of epinephrine, especially in terms of long term survival, is is relatively low. So we need to get those other those other factors in play uh, first, and then the epinephrine is definitely important in the cons in the in a non shockable rhythm situation. But if it's a shockable rhythm, the priority must be on shock delivery before considering the use of epinephrine or other vasopressors. Excellent points. Well, a big thank you to both Professor Nolan and Dr. Fernando for a great conversation on a really important, relevant topic. And a big thank you to our chess community for joining us. I'm Gretchen Winter, and this is a chess podcast. Until next time. <laughs>